Welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast, where we are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstamp for, and I'm really glad to get to share some of this audio with you. You know, we share this audio uh, of the sermons because we want to reach you where you're at. I don't know where you're at or what you're doing. You might be driving in your car, you might be mowing the lawn, but wherever you are, we want to meet you there. And we want to help to encourage you and challenge you to follow Jesus wherever it is that you are. But we also want you to know that you can't be the church by yourself, that you can't follow God in isolation from other people. And so while we hope that this podcast is helpful to you, we also want to encourage you to find a local church, find some people that you can uh, spend time with, that you can ask good questions of, that are going to continually point you to Jesus because you can't be the church by yourself. Today on this podcast, we're going to be listening to audio from a sermon that I preached on Ruth chapter 2 in our series, Making Ends Meet. And we're going to be learning a lot about how God speaks through other people, how God sends hope through life-giving friendships. And I already wrote the sermon. I did all the introduction there, so I'm not going to do it again. But let's listen in together to this week's audio. And church... Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Dan. He, uh, he, he volunteered this morning. He said, Hey, I'll, I'll read for you. And I said, okay. And I handed him the papers. I didn't practice, but he did a great job. So I really appreciate you reading and reading from Leviticus. No doubt who, who woke up this morning, like anxious to read Leviticus this morning. No, uh, that's one of those parts of the Bible that when you're doing your Bible read through during the year, like it's really hard to stay awake sometimes. But I hope that taking that section out and kind of zeroing in on it helps you see some of the practicality of what God tried to do. Remember, he took, he took people who didn't know him and he introduced himself and said, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to deliver you from your slavery and I'm going to make you a group of people that follow me. And one of the things you're going to do when you follow me Y'all are going to camp together. Who's, who's been camping? All right, we've got a full house. Everybody's been camping. Who's been camping with people you don't particularly care for? All right, got a couple, maybe not so many. <clears throat> I can imagine you get a couple hundred people together on a camping trip through the desert that at some point there's going to be some tensions that arise. And so God, it, it seems a little bit silly, but God kind of steps in and says, hey, y'all, don't be mean to each other. You love your neighbor. Don't, don't do things to intentionally hurt your neighbor. And this is, this is just like, means, like, don't curse a deaf person. Don't put something in front of a blind person that's going to cause him to trip. That's a little bit silly. And I hope that we'll be able to make the connection by the end of our time here together with why we started there and why we're turning now to the book of Ruth and Naomi's story. We remember last week that Naomi's story is a little bit of a bummer. Chapter one, everything goes wrong. And the one little thing that kind of goes right is just salt in the wound to Naomi. She loses her husband. She loses her sons. And she tries to chase off her daughters-in-law. And one of them decides that she's going to stay. The daughter who stays is Ruth. And that's where we're picking up their story. Remember, they had traveled to find food to a land called Moab, which was a completely different land. They weren't like friends with the Moabites. It wasn't like going to Canada. Um, I'm trying to think what would be inappropriate. It might be going to Cuba in the 80s, like not just a place you want to go. And they go back. They're leaving Moab, remember? And they're on this 
road trip. This isn't going to work today. They're leaving Moab. They're heading back to Israel because they've heard. Why, why are they leaving? Why are they leaving Moab? Why are they going back to Israel? You guys are smart. Right. They heard it's raining in Israel, and that means there's going to be a good harvest. So they start heading back. And now where we pick up in chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, which is going to be, going to be on page 180, 180 in your story Bibles, uh, chapter 2, the road trip's over. You know, they, they, they've been through some hard times. Now they're traveling together, and, you know, the buddy-buddy road trip is over. They're back in the land. They're back on the farm, and they've got to figure out how to make ends meet. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for the way that you have worked in other people's lives. Lord, we thank you for their example that's written down for us. Lord, we thank you for the ability to read and to understand your word guided by your spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that as we do read and as we do talk about and we do think deeply about your word today, that you would guide us by your spirit to come to your conclusions. Lord, about what is true and also about what that means for us this week. We're grateful for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So again, we're going to be in Ruth. We're going to be in chapter 2, and it's on page 180 if you're following along in these Bibles that say the story on them. I'm going to turn there as well. And I wanted to, I'll just share this with you. I had the thought last week, like it took me a long time to turn to Ruth, and so I should probably just bookmark it, right? And then I thought, no, like I want you guys to understand that sometimes it takes everybody a little bit of time to find stuff in the Bible. Like that's okay for you to take time to turn there. So, and I want you to know that I'm reading it with you. We got that? We good? Okay, let's do some reading. Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi was a relative of her husband's or excuse me, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him who's in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So let me pause real quick, and we'll talk about what just happened. So they get home. They've traveled on the road. It's been about 100 miles. They get home. They're back at the farm. Now, here's, here's a time where we have more information than Naomi did. Remember? Naomi is just completely devastated. Ruth says, hey, I want to go with you. I'm committed to being with you. And Ruth just says, mm, let's get this over with. Let's get back. She doesn't respond. But the narrator who's writing this down, which is probably uh, Samuel the prophet, he, he says, hey, all this bad stuff is going on. Naomi has completely lost hope. She forgot that Elimelech had a family, that Elimelech wasn't the end of the line, that her husband, that there were other people in the family. And one of those guys, he was a worthy man. He was honorable. He was wealthy. He, he was a worthy guy, and his name was Boaz. She completely forgot about that little detail. So we get this little hint in this first verse of chapter 2 that it's not over. But Naomi doesn't know it's not over. She's still grumpy. And Ruth comes to her and says, hey, uh, legally, and this is what we read this morning in Leviticus, legally, we're poor. 
Like, you don't have to convince anybody that we're poor. But as poor people, we can go to other people's field and pick grain that gets left over. See, in, in that, those first few verses in Leviticus, God had said, hey, when you harvest your field, don't, don't cut it all the way down to the ground. Leave some around the edges. And if you happen to drop some as you're harvesting, don't pick it up. Leave that so other people can come behind you and pick up. People who don't, they don't have any claim, like this isn't their grain. They don't have any claim on anything, but they also don't have anything else to do. So they will come behind you, and they'll pick up, and that way poor people can be supplied for in the land of Israel. If you're poor, go to Israel because you can get food when it's harvest time. That's the way God set it up to be. And so that's what Ruth says. She says, hey, we don't have anything. Uh, I can't farm our own farm, but I can go and, and, and I can pick grain somewhere else. Will you let me do that? I think this is so interesting. Naomi says, yeah, sure, go ahead. But Ruth asks first. All of the things that are going on, all of the devastation that's happened in their lives, and Ruth says, we got to do something. We can't just, like, sit here. Like, Naomi, will you let me go work for us? And there's an element of danger involved with that. She's a young lady. She's going out in public. She's going to go work in a field. There aren't, like, security systems. They're not those blue button things out in the fields that you can hit in, the, in, a, in an emergency. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? Police call button. I always thought of them as rape boxes, but I feel like that's not, you, I shouldn't say that. So I'm sorry. Just forget I said that. Um. <laughs> There's an element of danger. <laughs> There's an element of danger in Ruth going out and collecting grain. And so she says, hey, Naomi, can I go do this? And Naomi just says, fine. Get out of here. Go and do it. And Ruth, she doesn't know. She's never been here before. This is not her land. This is not her people. She only, she probably just barely found out about this rule in the law that, that we can go out and we can gather grain. And so she's showing up and, and she doesn't know where she's going. She, she ends up in Bethlehem. She's in the right city, but she doesn't know anybody. And she says, I'm just going to go. Whoever lets me follow behind, I'm just going to go. And I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got. I don't know anything, but I know I can pick up grains. So I'm going to go pick up grain. And she ends up in the field of a man named Boaz. And she set out, and she went, and she gleaned in the field after reapers, and, and, and she ends up in that field. Now, there weren't fences. That's one more thing I should say. We have fences between our fields. The property lines are pretty well marked off. They just kind of set up a stone at three corners, and that triangle of land, that was your land that you worked. And so she ended up in a different triangle, and she didn't know it, but it was the land of Boaz. So why do we care about Boaz? Let's do some more reading. And Boaz, verse 4, or, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So we'll pause there again. Boaz comes out to his field, and this guy is following Jesus. How do I know that he's following Jesus? He walks up to his workers, and what does he say? The Lord be with you. Like, he's not just like, hey, y'all. He says, no, no, the Lord be with you. Yeah, and also with you. Hey, Boaz, we, we get it. This is normal for them. 
This is a guy who's following after God. He wants to do what makes God happy. And so he's taking good care of his property. And he says, hey, that's, who's that young woman? Now, there's one of two things going on here, and I don't know which combination of the two is happening. Either one, he knows his workers so well that he knows when there's an extra one, or two, Ruth is attractive. I can't tell which. I'm going to suspect that there's a combination of the two, but he notices, like, hey, who's that one? I notice her. What's she doing here? He says, oh, well, that's the Moabitess. Moabitess. She came back with Naomi, and, and she's trying to take care of Naomi, and I let her, I just let her glean the grain. He says, okay. You notice how he says that, right? Oh, that's the Moabitess. I let, I let her pull some grain. Hey, but she's a pretty good worker. She, she's worked all morning, and she took a little short rest, but she's been faithful. She's been right there. She's picking up. She's not complaining. She's in the field, and she's working. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing, um, so I don't have any problem with her being there. Hey, let me just say, folks are going to know your story. This is a small town, Bethlehem. You know, when a Moabitess comes in, like people are going to notice, and they're going to know what's happening. And, and Boaz isn't like, well, which Moabitess are you talking about? Like, he knows. Like, oh, this is the girl. Okay, okay. I've heard about her. Okay. Hey, folks are going to know your story. We like to think that when we get into crisis mode, that we're just so focused on what's going on that nobody cares about what's happening to us. But sometimes people get kind of weird. They kind of step back and they pull their binoculars out to see what you're going to do. And so you feel like nobody's watching you, and you feel like you're just trying to deal with your own problems, and you're actually in a fishbowl, and you may not know it. Now, part of this frustrates me to no end, because you're like, why don't you all step in here and help? But maybe God has a different plan. Let's read some more. In verse 8, Ruth chapter 2, verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave, this, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eye be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Let's pause there. So Boaz is not only perceptive, but he's going a little bit above the, the call. He's not just letting her work, but he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of protection too. Don't go to the other fields. I don't have control of what happens in the other fields, but I have control of what happens in my field. And haven't I already told the guys to leave you alone? Like, they're not going to be harassing you. Now, ladies, I've never been a woman. I've never walked down the streets in the city, and I don't know what the cat calls are like. But if somebody were to say, cat call free, like, is that the kind of work environment you want to be in? A little bit of nonce. Okay, maybe that, okay, I tried. <clears throat> so he's saying, hey, I've already, I've already commanded these guys, like, hey, leave her alone. Don't bother her. And not only that, you don't have to go to the well and draw the water. You can just drink the water that they pull up. You'll, you, you're not working for me, but you get the benefits of working for me because you're in my field. And what is her response? I'm a foreigner. I don't belong here. You are, you are a worthy man. You've got, you've got it together. Why are you taking notice of me? I don't get it. 
Like, what, what, what have I done? I'm just here trying to, I'm just trying to make ends meet. Why are you showing me such kindness? He gives an answer. Because I'm tempted at this point to say, well, she was a good-looking lady. But he gives an answer. And let's read what his answer is. In verse 11, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So he gives an answer. He says, hey, I know your story. When, I, when we started this conversation, I wasn't real forthright, like I didn't tell you, but I, get, I know kind of some of the details of what's been going on behind the scenes in your life. And I have respect for the kind of lady that you are. And you have turned to the Lord. You've turned to Yahweh. You've, you've left your father and your mother. You've left their gods. And you've turned now to Yahweh. And I want to honor that decision. I want to help you make a good decision. Hey, faithful followers of Jesus, if somebody has turned to Jesus as their hope and they don't quite have it all figured out and they look a little rough around the edges, like instead of kind of stepping back and saying, whoa, let's get them cleaned up a little bit, uh, why don't we step in and help pull them deeper? Maybe, maybe the cleanliness or whatever it is that Jesus wants to do in their lives, maybe the provision that he wants to give them is going to come through our hands. Maybe. You've taken shelter under the wings of Yahweh, and so may he bless you. When we give blessings to people, when we, when we provide for people, when we meet them in their need, do you realize that we are representatives of God in that? That that simple action that seems like, like it's, it, can, it can be so earthly. It can be writing a check. It can be handing people, ca- like, I don't know what it is. It can feel earthly, but do you realize that as believers, when we do those things, like there's divine power in it? And I don't know how to explain that other than that, that I see it here in the text. Boaz is saying, I've heard of your kindness, I've heard of your loyalty, and I heard your commitment to God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you on that road. You've taken shelter in Yahweh, and so I'm going to encourage you. And she says, you have been such a comfort to me. I so appreciate you being nice to me. Like, when you're in a bad spot, isn't it nice when somebody says nice things to you? Why is it that when people are in a bad spot, we want to point out the obvious, like, wow, you're being pretty bitter right now, aren't you? Maybe we ought to speak some kind words in every situation. But when it rains, it pours. Look at verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not approach her. 
and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Here's above and beyond. Here's generosity. See, the law says, Boaz, you have to let her pick grain in your field around the edges. Anything that you didn't get the first time, don't go through it again and mow it down. Like, just let her get the leftovers. And he went, he went above and beyond. He said, okay, not only can you get the leftovers, I'm going to tell my servants not to attack you, and I'm going to let them draw water for you. I'm offering a cup of water in kindness. Like, he's, he's being nice. But now comes dinner time, comes meal time, and he invites her in and says, hey, here's some bread. Here's some roasted grain, and you can dip it in the wine. Like he sets up a She gets to have a meal with, with the boss. She, she's the intern having a meal with like the super CEO. And he's just being nice to her. And then it's time to go back to work. Now, now here, it's really easy to miss this. There's, she has eaten, and she has some left over, and she has worked a day, like for, for most of the day, and there's a temptation that she could just tap out and go home, punch the clock and go home. But when it came time to go back into the fields, she went back into the fields. And when Boaz saw that, he says, hey, guys, let her, let her pick whatever she wants. If she gets into the stuff we haven't harvested yet, don't say anything to her. Just let her do what she wants to do. And hey, when you've harvested some stuff, just kind of drop it. Just take stuff out of your sheaves and just as you're going along, just... You know, leave some breadcrumbs. Make sure she has enough to take care of what she needs. Go out of your way and be generous with her. This is incredible. So, now we get to the end. We're coming to the closing here. She gets to go back home. Let's read it. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out to her and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Let me pause real quick. I just, I just want to say real, real quick. Um, she keeps working. She works all day long. Like she's, she's diligent and then she takes what she's, what she's got and she brings it home to her mother-in-law, which is why she went out in the first place. Like she's finishing the job. She's bringing it home. And she's not only bringing home the grain that she harvested, which is a lot, um, an ephah. I don't know how to do the measurements. Some people say that's about a month's wages for a field worker. Not what they could collect in a month, but what they would earn by a month of working. I'm not entirely sold on that, but I, that's as close as I can get to let you know that this is a lot. Brings home a lot of grain. Where did you work today? <laughs> so she goes and she works and she brings it home. Um, and 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 Naomi, like, her spirits are lifted. Like, we might get out of this. Where, blessed be the Lord. Like, I was, I was faithful to God in chapter 1, and I said, you know, the Lord has turned, turned his face against me. I'll still name him. I'll still call myself by his name. Like, I'm still an Israelite, but I'm, I'm, I'm a bitter Israelite. I'm Mara. <laughs> but the Lord has blessed. The Lord bless him. The Lord bless him. The guy who, who, who went out of his way 
and was so generous with you. The Lord bless him. And Ruth says, that dude's name was Boaz. And verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Oh. You see it? Naomi, Naomi's eyes are opening a little bit. She sees, oh, he's being nice to you because you're a good gal. Like, you're doing good. But he's not just being nice to you. Like, he understands what we've been through. He's being nice to the living and to the dead. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. There's just a drop, uh, yeah, there's just a drop of hope. I can't tell in this picture whether she's smiling or, or, or happy. Like, I can't tell if this is a happy or sad portrait. But there's a drop of hope. Remember she said last chapter, I went away bitter or I went away full. I had everything and God brought me back completely empty. I have nothing. Oh, yeah, Boaz. I remember that guy. He's related to my husband. Yeah, I remember Boaz. Okay, maybe all is not lost. Hey, Ruth, it's good that you found him today. <laughs> you love the obvious. It's good that you found him. Don't leave. Just stay in that field. Let him take care of you. So I've rushed through this chapter because I wanted to get, help us understand kind of what happened. But as we turn to apply it, like what I'm overwhelmed with in reading this chapter is, is the, are the, what I'm overwhelmed with in this chapter are the expressions of friendship and compassion. And I think that God gives us hope through life-giving friendships. There's times, dark valley, you know, it seems like there's no light. It seems like everything's been taken away from you. God has cursed you, it feels like. And God will just have that one person in your life that says, nah, there's hope. But as we've gone through, I've tried to highlight them, and I want to point them out just for means of synthesis so that we can see. So I'm going to do two things, and then we'll close. I'm letting you know where we're at so you don't feel overwhelmed. It feels like I'm going to go on forever, but I promise I'll stop. I'm going to give you the, uh, the patterns of life-giving friendship, just to summarize them. And we've already seen them. You already know them. Um, it's just going to be a form of synthesis. And then we're going to ask a couple of questions. Okay? Can we do that before we go? All right. So the patterns of life-giving friendship, I want to take us back into chapter 1. It starts with commitment. I do not believe that Ruth would have been able to be faithful in walking into a stranger's field and start picking up grain until, or even to follow her the hundreds of miles back to Israel unless she had made a commitment to her. Our culture hates this. We, 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 we hate commitment. We're so afraid of commitment, and we're afraid that if we commit to you that you're going to somehow turn it around and stab me in the back, and we feel like if I get your signature on a piece of paper, then maybe I can trust you. Like, we hate, we hate trusting people, and we hate committing to people, but that's where friendship started. They had this, they had this fam familial relationship, but then Ruth turns around and says, no, 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 I'm committed to you. 
I'm leaving my father and mother. I'm leaving their gods, and I'm binding myself to you. I will take care of you in your death. I will worship your God. I am committed. So the first part of the pattern of life-giving friendship is commitment. Then she's persistent. I don't know what it's like to live with Naomi, but I've seen some bitter people. And sometimes it's all you can do to let them open up enough to let you help. And so I don't know how often they had the conversation, but on the particular day that we started with in chapter 2, Ruth says again, hey, Naomi, can I go into the field, please? Can I please glean for us? That's, that's all we have to do. Fine. Stop bothering me. Go do it. She's persistent. She seeks, she's, I know what it, like, I know we don't have a whole lot, but this is one thing that we can do. I know I can't fix all the problems in the world, but I know I can meet this one need. And there are times where you will have a friend and you want more than anything to be a good friend to them and they will not let you in. You can see so clearly, like this is just a, I know, I know there's a lot of pain, but this is a small salve that I can apply to your life. Would you please just let me do this? And I, I, I guarantee you that Ruth was persistent and that Ruth finally relented. And then she did her due diligence. Like, she went out in the field. She sweat. She picked up the grain. She, she did what, she didn't have a whole lot that she could do, but she did the one thing she could. This is how we can get food on the table. This is how we can make ends meet. She went to work, and she did due diligence. But on the other side of that, she's not the only one doing due diligence. The manager also did due diligence, and Boaz did due diligence because they let her do the work. It was the start of Boaz showing kindness and friendship to Ruth and to Naomi is letting them do the work. There are times where we want to run in and do the work for people. And sometimes the beginning of kindness is letting them do the work. Giving them space and letting them do the parts that they need to do. So she did due diligence. She was generous. She, she had probably gleaned enough for them to make it through the week by dinner time, and then she got a good meal, and she got the, the puppy dog bag, she got takeout. But she went back into the field after dinner, and she worked more. She was generous with her time and brought all of that back to Naomi and said, here's, here's all that I gleaned, and, and, and here's the leftovers from dinner. It was awesome. Boaz, like, I don't know much about Boaz, but he can cook up some wheat. She was generous, and we've already seen that Boaz was generous too. And all of that is tied up with, with gratitude. There's times where there isn't a lot going on in your life, I know. Like, and those times can feel like there's nothing to be thankful for. But there's small things where God steps in and says, hey, like, I'm going to give you a little bit. I'm going to give you a drop of hope. You don't know how far it's going to ripple out yet, but I'm going to give you that drop to start things. And they respond with gratitude. God, thanks. Who am I? That I'm a Moabitess. I'm a foreigner. I don't belong here. Why would you spend any time with me? Thank you for your kindness. Do we thank people? So, I say all this, and this seems silly, and it seems like I shouldn't have to say this like we're adults, but I genuinely believe that kids get this better than we do. 
We start doing this intuitively, and then we grow out of it. I think we grow out of it because we get hurt by bad friends. And, and I understand that too. But I'm saying that the call for us as believers of faithful people to follow God who are going to love our neighbors well are to be good friends. To have good friends and to be good friends. Because God sends us hope through life-giving friendship. So here's a couple questions. Will you give others permission to care for you? If Naomi sits back at the farm in a land where it's raining and there's the harvest going on and says, God, you better provide for my needs. And she's got Ruth over there pestering her. Please let me go out. Please let me go out. Let me get it. And she says, no, 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 no. See, Naomi doesn't ever get fed. She gets more and more bitter, but she never gets fed. And there are times where we've got people in our lives that just won't leave us alone. I'm angry about this. I don't want to deal with it. Stop asking me. So I'm asking you if that's where you're at, if you are bitter, will you give others permission to care for you? Part of that means that you have to let them into your life enough so that they can see where the needs are. If you've shut everybody out of your life, everybody knows you need something, but doesn't anybody know how to do it? Remember, bitterness causes us not to see the help that God has already sent. So I'm asking you, if you're bitter, will you give others permission to care for you? Naomi doesn't do anything in this chapter except say, fine, get out of the house. Will you care for the caretakers? I, won't, I don't know that I'll be able to talk about this. There are people who see needs in their families and who, who, who pour themselves out past empty to care for needs. There are people caring for their parents that, that they didn't ever plan to care for their parents, but here they are, and there's nobody else who's going to do it, and I've got to do it. All the other people have walked away, and, and if I don't do this, then it's not going to be, and I'm just caring for people. And those people, hey, they're busy. They're stressed. They're not pleasant to be around. They're grumpy most days. They don't look nice. They haven't combed their hair in a couple weeks because they're caring for somebody else. Ruth might have had a natural beauty, but she's been living with Naomi for I don't know how long. They've walked 100 miles to get home. Like, I'm not sure that she's got her makeup on. But Boaz says, yeah, you can, you can, you can glean in my field, and I'm going to give you water. And hey, come eat dinner with me. Will you care for the caretakers? You know these people. Will you give them the great, like they've, they've poured themselves out. For the good of another person, they have, and they don't have anything else to give, don't ask anything for them, but will you just care for the caretakers? Will you be a Boaz in somebody else's life? And will you step into another person's trouble? It's possible that God wants to provide for the people in your life through your hands. It's possible that God wants to give hope to the people in your life through your mouth and what you do. But that means we have to be persistent. We have to be good friends to people that aren't friendly to us. We have to have awkward conversations. We have to go and sit in their living room and say, I'm not going anywhere until we deal with this. 
you're in trouble. You won't, you won't take care of yourself. I see this need. I can meet this need. I'm stepping into your trouble, and you're going to have to deal with I'm going to make it worse until you deal with this because I care about you that much. Will you be a life-giving friend because God sends us hope through life-giving friendships? Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by spending time with God and His Word. If you have any questions about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in touch with us, then you can do so by visiting our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, I hope to talk with you soon. Today on this podcast, we're going to be listening to audio from a sermon that I preached on Ruth chapter 2 in our series, Making Ends Meet. And we're going to be learning a lot about how God speaks through other people, how God sends hope through life-giving friendships. And I already wrote the sermon. I did all the introduction there, so I'm not going to do it again. But let's listen in together to this week's audio.